0: And so we had some UX problems with, with our initial product. Where we went to is we we moved to having a tablet that we could attach to the process that would have a very lightweight UX. And, and this is where maybe one of the bigger trade-offs happened, which was just how simple we wanted to make that, that user experience. We use a lot from Lean manufacturing. And in Lean, if you're not doing something value-added then you're losing time. And an operator typing something into a computer, you know, you have to question whether that's value added or not. My name is Braden Stenning, and I'm the co-founder and CTO at Raven.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry, and build, and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, And today, how Braden Stinning built the best system to account for every second of production time. All this and more on Code Story. Braden Stinning has always been interested in technology. His earliest memories include the desire to be an aerospace engineer, to be the guy to build the spaceships. He spent a lot of time exploring computers, being interested in math and science, and even founded a high school robotics team. This really opened his eyes to software development as a career and lit up something inside of him. He's a curious person who often has a plan and keeps his eyes open for what is happening around him. He did his undergrad at Carleton University, studying aerospace engineering, and he realized he really loved school, so much so that he got his Ph.D. from the University of Toronto. At school, he met his wife, and they decided to stick around Ottawa. They loved to spend time outside in the green space, as he puts it, getting their two boys outside or walking the dog. Through some project ideas he was working on and networking in the tech space of Ottawa, he was introduced to his co-founder, Martin Cloak. Together, they combined ideas around machine telemetry and the next level of insight into continuous improvement. This is the creation story of Raven.
0: Raven, we are helping manufacturers and people that work at manufacturing be more productive, more efficient with their time. We help them understand what actually happened, get a record, the truth of what it was, and then be able to understand how they can improve or what they can do to you know avoid losses in the future. So if we think about manufacturing, one of the ways we can think about it is how are you spending your time? Time is always ticking, you know, once you've lost a second, you've 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 lost that second. And so manufacturing it's often very focused on how do you build a really stable production process, producing high quality at the target rate, and how do you keep it going? And, and that means understanding when it stops. So we we have a framework that we work with our customers on how they think about losses, helping fill out those losses, helping provide that instantaneous feedback, helping do reactive and proactive work with them so that they can make more efficiently with the same, you know, same people, same processes or uh, you know when they're looking to scale they can maintain their their productivity that they have when we moved to ottawa i was actually still uh, i was working at u of t i was a postdoc i was an instructor for a fourth year space systems design course and i was sort of halfway between toronto and ottawa i was commuting back and forth and for those not aware it's about a four hour four and a half hour drive that wasn't working for me. <laughs> and so I started to kind of work on some problems that I was interested in. And I was doing autonomous systems for my research. And, and one of the things that was interesting was, how do we how do we monitor the state of one of these things if there's nobody around? Or if there's nobody around who sort of is paying really close attention to it? And so I started working on some project where I was doing a state estimation. You know, is the machine or the thing that makes sound, you know, which was what I was primarily using, uh, operating well? Or is it does it have a problem? And you know so there are some really you know challenging things about that because the the idea here was that I wasn't connecting into like a direct signal I was trying to infer. I think thought there was you know it was sort of a half kind of hobby project, half thinking, hey, this could be actually something. And I started to connect with the community here in Ottawa. There's a really great tech community, lots of founders helping other founders. And I eventually got introduced to uh, my co-founder, Martin Cloak who's our CEO here at Raven, And the person that introduced us said, hey, Raven, you, you should talk to Martin. He's an old friend of mine. He sounds like, you know, sounds like you're sort of thinking about something similar to what he's working on. And so Martin and I, you know, met up, we chatted, we met at some, you know, we, we crossed paths at events and and sort of started thinking about collaborating. And, and sort of in the background, I was trying to see, okay, well, if I was gonna turn this thing that I was working on into a product, I need a whole lot more than just me. And that was one of these things that really got me excited about uh, meeting Martin is that he was he, you know, he was one of those complimentary people and he had a bunch of other complimentary people in, in his circle. He had a few people working on what was then called machine telemetry and it was largely just collect on off from machines and put it on a dashboard. And we started talking and he recognized the value of that next level of insight into what was going on. And when we started sort of collaborating before you knew it, we were kind of working together on, on the same product. And it is one of those examples of where kind of, I, I kind of had a bit of a plan, but rec- you know something better came along while I was working on what I thought I was you know, going to be working on and, and realized that that was what I should move to. And so I made the decision to, to join up with Martin, um, and that was in 2014. And <laughs> it's, been, it's been awesome.
1: Well, tell me about the MVP, that first you know, version of the product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: You, Martin has a background in manufacturing and
1: you know, he always sort of had this
0: vision for, he wanted to be able to see what was going on with the, on the shop floor. And, and what we found is this is something that many, many people who work in manufacturing have thought about you know, over the time. With us, we, we we always have taken this approach where we want to be delivering code and new features, new functionality, quickly. Martin had actually, when I joined, um, you know, hired uh, some people to help build a little bit of an MVP, and they had sort of this this dashboard built in Python that was uh, able to, you know, collect data from they they had these uh, Arduino based uh, data collection devices that could attach to machines. And so that was sort of the starting point. But those were sort of a couple that was a couple months worth of work to prototype it and try to get it into some places. When I came in, you know, I wasn't looking to replace that directly. My expertise was more in the you know the algorithms, the the data side rather than the infrastructure side. So I was, you know, we we took that Python web server and we tried to make it work. Uh, very quickly, we ran into some scaling problem. Just couldn't couldn't process the data fast enough. Couldn't load the data fast enough. And it became clear that we we kind of needed to revisit that infrastructure piece. Our attitude on this stuff is: what can we do to incrementally deliver results? Incrementally improve. And, and, and what do we have, you know, what are the skills or the tools that we have ourselves to prove out the idea? You know, we recognize we weren't at product market fit at that time. So it was, it was all about trying to find that product market fit.
1: With, with any MVP, Braden, y- you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Either feature cut or technical debt. And you kind of touched lightly on a few things in there, but I want to dive in a little more. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make in the short term and how you cope with them.
0: You know, I think we've had sort of several passes at the MVP here, and, and maybe what I described was sort of the very, very first pass. And the, ne- the next pass, we sort of recognized where, you know, not only were we having performance problems, but we were having engagement problems. We, we always sort of envisioned our product as being something that helped operators, helped supervisors, helped people on the shop floor do their job better. And, and it was about lifting those people up and you know this this idea of what what do what can software do well that helps people do the thing that they do well even better and so we had some ux problems with with our initial initial product and and where we went to is we we moved to having a tablet that we could attach to the process that would have a very lightweight ux and and this is where maybe one of the bigger trade offs happened which was just how simple we wanted to make that that user experience for the, the operators. We use a lot from lean manufacturing and build on that. Uh, and in lean, if you're not doing something value added, then you're losing time. And, and, and an operator typing something into a computer is, you know, you have to question whether that's value added or not if it's not something that is physically in the product or that something you know one of the tests would be like do do your customers pay money for this you know it's like do your customers pay money for your operators typing something into the screen the answer is usually no Uh, they, they pay money for the product right so we really wanted to have almost no effort on the operator's part which meant you know just quick taps and we didn't get you know necessarily full context but we would try to make up for that full context by making it really easy and getting more complete context you know the way that we dealt with that is we we worked on you know we we convinced ourselves that that was a reasonable take we crafted that story and then we worked on making the thing that we decided to make work well right
1: so, From that point, you've got the product and you decided, you know, what you wanted to make work well. And then at that point, I'm sure you started to, you know, progress the product. How did you go about that? How did you go about maturing the product? And I think I'm also interested in how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. So we've always been
0: very responsive to our customers. And and the way we've done that, we've kind of two main approaches, listening to our actual customers, working closely with them, and also uh, adding people to our team who would be our actual customers. And, you know, Martin being one of these sort of like examples, you know, he would have been a customer of Raven had Raven existed before he started it. And we've got a bunch more people like that too. So we, you know, we have that strategic vision inside the organization, and we validate that against what our actual customers want. So we've always had kind of a roadmap of these sort of strategic items that we want to do, and then we are very kind of fluid or flexible on that uh, to the extent possible, you know, technically, to try to pull pieces forward for specific customers to get them. Kind of succeeding in, in, in the way that they want to succeed. It's been, you know, an effective way to, to do it. And I think we've learned a lot along the way. And, and there are some things that have not changed in all the years that we've been working on this in terms of the vision. And then there are other parts that have absolutely changed. I think both of those, you know, the things that not, haven't changed are, are proven that, you know, we got it, we got it right. And the things that changed, we, you know, we, we want to be listening to what people actually want.
1: Okay, we talked about roadmap. Tell me about team. How did you build your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: This is something that is one of the most important things that we've done, and and the reasons why you know Raven is is successful right now, and that's that getting those right people on the team. First of all, I say like we have a lot of really kind really smart people, really kind people, really motivated people. We've really emphasized ownership throughout the the team and it's, uh, you know, not always quick to, to kind of see the results of that, but, but we do see the results now and it's incredible. So when we're looking to add to our team, we're looking for people who, you know, have that potential for leadership, that, that ownership, of, of the particular area of the technology or the organization that they're going to be working in. People who are motivated and curious to keep keep going, people who are flexible thinkers, people who can communicate well and communicate in a way that lifts people up and encourages more communication. So we want people who encourage other people to, to, to provide their input, right? So if you're, you're well-spoken and have great ideas, that's wonderful, but can you help the rest of the team get their ideas out there in a way that's understood and it's effectively contributing. Of course, we, you know, we we do want to see some technical, you know, a high level of technical skill. We don't expect people to have worked with the specific stack that we work with. That's not, you know, we don't look for specific technologies because we do figure if somebody is effective problem solver and smart and can be productive in, in one ecosystem and, and they care and they're motivated, then they're going to pick it up quickly and work with the tools that we work with.
1: So in what you're talking about as far as bringing people in to fit your team is a specific type of culture. How are you going about protecting that team culture and ensuring that people that come in the door adhere to that? You know, the last years have been
0: I think uh really good from a, a perspective of, of organizations and societies talking about culture and values and how do we you know how do we mold a, you know an organization that that we're proud of we are proud of our organization and how our team works and we are also constantly trying to improve it you know we look hard at our values and when we look to somebody joining the team you know we used to use the kind of the phrase is it a cultural fit? And now we don't use that one. We, we kind of think of as it, it a cultural ad? You know, we're always looking to grow the culture in a way that everybody wins. You know, we're not looking for people who think exactly like the way we already think. There needs to be, you know, a certain amount of overlap, but it's really exciting when we bring in people who kind of share those common values of respect and continuous improvement who come in with some different perspectives on, on other things and, and challenge the, the, the rest of the team in an effective way to improve. So, you know, we are looking to push our culture to, to grow it, to evolve it from that common core. And, and part of that is you know, we talk about culture. We talk about the things that are effective or that are not effective, both in general terms and in our specific teams and we continuously work on it. It's, it, is a, it is a conscious, deliberate practice.
1: Let's flip to scalability. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or were you fighting this as you grew and gained traction?
0: One of the things that we wanted to prove was that we had a product that was worth building. Um,
1: and from a
0: technology perspective, You know, I think it's a very large stack that we try to do. We try to do the end-to-end thing from data collection to data cleaning to get to the truth, to the analytics, to the insights, to the feedback, to operators. And so there's just a very large technology stack. So when we build our technology, we would try to pick an architecture that is extendable or extensible and that is flexible. And we wouldn't necessarily build all the scalability in to start, but we would try to leave ourselves the options from a product perspective when we built our product, we did think about scalability absolutely from the beginning We wanted to be able to help operators at an individual process. We wanted to be able to help you know the corporate executives overseeing you know a hundred plants that might have hundreds of, of production processes each. And so thinking about that product scale you know was was something that we do did from the beginning. thinking about the technical scale was something that we considered but didn't necessarily always implement when we'd hit the limits and and that was through continuously monitoring the performance of the system, we would go back and we would adjust. For our particular case, it's an appropriate way to to build it. You know, Small team looking to move quickly, deliver quickly, and it's about that speed of providing value to our customers.
1: So it sounds like you started out building it in such a way that you could prove out the product, but you architected it to where you could scale easier later on down the line. Is that right?
0: Yeah, and and we're continuing to do that. You know, so we've made some technology changes
1: and we're continuing
0: to to make those changes. In the last couple of years here, we've we've really found a lot of great product market fit where our customers are, you know, they they want they want things, they want them, they want them quickly and building in that flexibility into the technology is something that we, you know, we now architect in that flexibility and that quick, you know, that speed of being able to adapt and tailor it to them. You know, we're building a product, so we want to build, you know, the product that's, that's, that's flexible because that's what we we need in this market.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built, what are you most proud of? So I think there's two things, and, and the first is,
0: is, is absolutely the team. I think the growth of the team has been amazing and seeing the individuals how they've taken on new responsibilities uh and 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 how the the you know the organization itself the culture that like kindness that that curiosity that that drive to to be better uh, people better engineers is really amazing and also <laughs> and when our our president likes to post these things we get you know he gets text messages from some of our our bigger customers talking about when they hit records in terms of their productivity for a day you know their their effectiveness going from single digits to high 70s in the course of you know less than 18 months which is which is amazing right and so seeing those cases where our customers are so excited that they call our president and say max this look at this we, what a day we've had that that's pretty exciting Cause that's the other thing, which is like, we're making those people's days better, right? When we when we help them produce like that.
1: Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: So this is one of these things that we specifically talk about in our culture. You know, we've all made mistakes of varying degrees. And, and you know, I can think of, of cases where you know we've accidentally deployed wrong pieces of software or you know deleting a, a node where we shouldn't you know where we intended to uh, you know upgrade a single pod or, or something like that the amazing thing whenever we have sort of one of these issues that that, that comes up i love a jumping in and whether it's a discord room or a slack call or whatever or you know back when we could it was over the shoulder the team is just very focused on solving the problem in a non-judgmental way and then we we after the fact we do failure causes inquiry where we go through what happened and in and realizing that we're part of a system here and it's not the individuals it is the system you know the the when you when you mess up you know your your heart starts beating and you know you you feel that that anxiety but you've got a whole bunch of people who are there with you trying to help get the system back up and then support you as we all learn from it and try to make the system more robust so that that doesn't happen again.
1: I like what you said there about, you know, it's the system. We're a system, we're not an individual. So, how do we fix the system? That's a good, that's a good way to scope it when you have to have hard conversations or, you know, retros on an issue. So, what does the future look like for Raven, the, the product and for your team?
0: I think it's it's really bright. It's at a really exciting time for us right now. So we've we've grown about 30% in terms of the team in the last six months, and you know we're delivering features, functionality improvements at, at a faster pace than we've we've ever done before. The potential is enormous in this industry. You know there are, and I forget the number here off the top. There are hundreds of thousands of manufacturers in the world. It's a it's a huge part of the economy um, and there is huge potential for improvement. So we see a lot of a lot of great things happen here. In addition, a neat story here um, at the beginning of the pandemic, one of our first employees, or I think he was technically the first employee, gave us a call and he's now a surgeon. And he said, hey, I think I think Raven could be you know, useful in our operating rooms at our hospital to help us. With our, you know, COVID protections, to keep our our staff safe and and also to just help us be more productive or you know use this sort of scarce resource more effectively. And so we've been, you know, looking at how that works, and we now have sort of a variation of our product installed in an operating room, which is which is pretty neat. And we do see, you know, at its core, we're trying to help people use their time better, use their resources better, and and that's not just manufacturing, but it's also a lot of other areas manufacturing stuff is is super exciting and that's our core, but we do see this potential for growth and expansion into these other other areas as well.
1: You know, with the with the product, you know, you're surfacing a lot of really important information for manufacturers or, you know, um, or medical, you know, places to understand, you know, their equipment and understand, you know, what's going on in their environment. Do you see Do you see a part of your product hooking into an ecosystem that could automatically trigger other, you know, systematic operations based on that feedback?
0: You know, it's something that we're curious about. So we, you know, coming back to to trade-offs and deliberate choices, you know, we've to date not done a lot of direct feedback into the manufacturing systems. You know, we don't control machines directly. You know, that helps us with our, you know, keep the architecture simpler and reduces certain types of risks. That said, that's something that is always been sort of this eventual endpoint, that deeper integration, because there's just so much information that is available on the shop floor that feeds into other parts of the business, whether it's planning and scheduling or supply chain or the broader uh, financial perspective of, of a business, right? These are all obvious extensions of what's happening on the shop floor. So we do see it, it's exciting, exciting potential.
1: Well, let's switch to you, Braden. Who who influences the way that you work? You know, CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why.
0: Well, I think that you know, like the one of the, the people that, that really does it, uh, a lot of you know influence on me and is is Martin Cloak, so our our CEO here. You know, Martin and I didn't know each other before we we started you know working together, which I think is an unusual. Or so maybe not the typical advice for, for co-founders where, you know, you sort of say, make sure you know you know this person and you can work with them. Starting a business is hard and stressful. But Jim you know, Barton and I have found a really fantastic way of of working together and, you know, kind of share those those core values of, of wanting to make a you know, wanting to make something that's excellent with, you know, and really respecting the people that we we're, we're working for, working with. I also think we've sort of established some really neat ways of communicating, and 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 I appreciate when Martin presents me with or challenges a view that I have, and and lets me shift gears in my brain. There's a, I think there was a time I remember recently here where he kind of challenged me on a particular thing, and and uh, you know it's it's not always easy to to change your mind on something that you're you're sure about, but uh, you know we can we can do that with each other. I appreciate
1: that. Well, we talked about mistakes, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently, or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: I think there's there's some technology decisions that we made. You know, in hindsight, we had more time in those early stages than perhaps it felt like we did. And so, you know, some of our some of our technology shift over the last couple of years. You know, we you know moved away from Python. You know it's still a big part of our back end but we've moved a lot of our our data pipeline to elixir and saw some of these performance issues optimizing for developer joy and you know which is also a good way to get more productive you know things like that that i actually recall somebody suggesting elixir to me a long long time ago and i kind of didn't get it at the time and I, I regret maybe not digging deeper to understand why they were suggesting it. You know, as a consequence too, there's, we've, we've sort of drifted to more microservices that I think you know, are, are, are necessary. And we've been over the last couple of years sort of cleaning up some of that to make it simpler. Again, coming back to the small team, when you have a small team and a whole bunch of services, you end up not having necessarily a lot of coverage, a lot of people that are really familiar with each, each part which makes it more difficult to to be productive and share that load and so we've been moving to more you know still keeping these loosely coupled elements of the system as much as possible for flexibility and sort of ease of changing one piece but but also pulling things into fewer repos and i think we we you know coming back again we didn't deliberately make the emphasis on ownership until you know a couple years in and it was was there and we definitely had it happening but we weren't consciously working on it and i think that's sort of this like well i wish i could be the person i am today you know a long time ago right with those insights and experience and 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 maybe even more so i wish i could be the person that i am will be 10 years from now
1: well last question Braden. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: First, I would, I'd like to listen. I always, you know, like to, I, there's, there's like seeing that when somebody is excited about something that they're working on, then I just, I like to, I like to see that excitement and hear about it. You know, I'm also cautious about giving too much advice. I think I tend to prefer kind of relating my experience and recognizing that, you know, it doesn't necessarily apply to, to everybody. Um, and in fact, the exact opposite may be better for an individual, but, um, you know, I think kind of recognize that for me, some of those, those most impactful things that have happened in my life and in my career have happened while I was working you know, towards one goal and then a new opportunity came up and yeah, at the, at the balance of, you know, I, I would want to make sure that 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 person who's built that next big thing, if they, if they are building it and going forward and they are committed, that is great. If they are building something great and there's other new things that come up along that are more, um, important, whether that's career wise or, or life wise, you know, don't miss out on those elements. Um, that said there is also the the time where you know you stop looking around you just got to focus on the thing that you're you want to get done more generally they uh, keep growing as a person keep building empathy stay
1: curious uh, keep learning that's great advice well braden thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of raven telemetry thank you no it's been my pleasure and this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously.